Working Cows Podcast, episode 223. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. This is Clay Conry, host of the Working Cows podcast, powered by the Global Ag Network. And this episode is brought to you by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. And let me just say that I have been doing this podcast for about four years. Uh, I suppose just a little over a year in, I joined the Global Ag Network, and it was a busy season in my life and an opportunity for somebody else to take over selling advertisements on this podcast, on episodes of this podcast. And they've done a great job uh, up to this point. And just a few months ago, about six months ago, we entered into a partnership with the Successful Farming Magazine, which is owned by Meredith uh, Media Corporation. And they have now taken over selling our advertisements. And uh, one of the ways that we can shape uh, the advertisements that get sold is by you guys giving feedback. Now, I, I don't really know who listens to this podcast, uh, but I do invite you to offer feedback on this particular advertiser or other advertisers going forward. Um, I, I, if, if we come to a place where we have uh, chemical company advertisements going forward. They'll probably get played at the end of uh, these episodes. But for now, um, I'm going to play this one on the front end just to invite that feedback from you. So go to workingcows.net slash contact and drop me a line there. Call and leave a voicemail at 605-549-5401, 605-549-5401, and uh, give me some feedback on, on what you think. But for now, here is a word from today's sponsor, Zyway Brand Fungicides by FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Today on the Working Cows podcast. Very excited to be joined by Bob McBride of McBride Bucking Bulls, and we are going to talk to him about uh, the business of bucking bulls. What is that? What does that take? I mean, this is a, a, a related enterprise, maybe a, a way to add value on your operation uh, to take on this, uh, this, this value-added uh, segment or to pursue this value-added uh, enterprise. So, uh, But there's a lot that goes into it, and a lot that I think m- many people, including myself, as even a lifelong consumer of rodeo uh, and sometimes participant in, in different rodeo events, didn't understand about the bucking bull industry. And so uh, I got in touch with Bob McBride and said, hey, let's talk about 
Let's talk about the business of bucking bulls. So that's what we're going to do to here today on the Working Cows podcast. Bob, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So uh, we we connected uh, after a uh, ranching for profit um, RFP online webinar, and we got to talking about uh, your your business and and what you guys are doing there. And so, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the business of uh, McBride Buck and Bulls? Sure. Well, we've we've been in the bucket bull business. Uh, just a little over 20 years now, the industry would uh, call it a born to buck program. So we're not stock contractors. We don't produce rodeos or, or bull ridings, but we have a registered cow herd that, uh, that we raise buck and bull calves out of and then develop those bulls and, you know, sell them as uh, competition and or future buck and bull prospects. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, a number of different segments, you know, in the, in the industry. Uh, but we, I guess you could put us in the cow calf bucket, so to speak. Gotcha. And yeah, so the, the born to buck is just the, uh, the cow calf version in the, within the buck and bull business. Correct. Gotcha. And so I guess I look at this as a, a, a kind of, a, of an interesting and, and maybe a little bit out of the box way to add value to a cow herd. Is that, uh, I suppose there's more to it than that, but is that kind of how that happened? Well, that, that is the objective. I mean, at, at the scale that we operate, you know, we want to produce a premium product. So, you know, a lot of the folks that you would interview in your podcast, you know, they, rather than selling calves at the stockyards, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners and some of your guests, you know, carry them and finish them and then sell steaks, you know, to people right off their farm and ranches. So, so I would parallel it to that. I mean, we're, we want to produce a premium product. I mean, we have overhead costs that, uh, that uh, you know, that we're carrying across, so to speak, you know, 50 head of rodeo cows and not a thousand beef cows. So, you know, in order to, you know, have a sustainable and viable business, I mean, we want to, we want to market a valuable product at day's end. So, uh, that's easier said than done because, you know, uh, not every bull calf born is a superstar, right? So, uh, uh, the odds get higher, uh, as you, you know, develop your program and the genetics, et cetera, which we can, you know, talk about later, but, uh, but it, it is a, uh, uh, you know, again, a superstar is, is not easy to come by. So, but, but that is the pursuit. That is our desire uh, to, you know, create the very best caves we can. And, uh, and you know, in hopes that, uh, you know, uh, one, it brings notoriety or a program. And, you know, two, that we can sell them for a price that allows us to uh, do it again next year. So sure. that's, that's the plan. And, and can you tell me a little bit about where you are in the world? Sure. Uh, I live in South Central Kansas. Uh a short hour south and east of Wichita, Kansas. So uh, we're on the uh, south and western edge of the Flint Hills. Uh, I can be in Oklahoma in about 30 minutes straight south. Um, so uh, we're in a native pasture, you know, big time uh, yearling country, you know, for summer grazing. Uh, so, but uh, where we live is 
there's some some farm ground around us uh you know uh some of the river bottom areas you know been broke out but most of the area right around us is grass which which i like so <laughs> yeah, yeah me too so I, I think in a lot of these plains plains states um th- i i hear this statistic that every 50 miles you go east uh cuz really if you look at it you know uh north dakota south dakota nebraska kansas oklahoma really they all kind of share that extreme western border is about the same as far as the the longitude is concerned and so i and and then really their eastern border isn't far off either so i hear this this statistic that basically every 50 miles you go east or is worth an another inch of rainfall is would that hold true in Kansas in in your understanding yeah i, I would say I would say that's pretty close. I mean, we're we're about a 34, 36 inch annual rainfall here. And, and yes, uh, we have some cows, beef cows that we keep in Missouri. And, and uh, you know, I would say that, uh, gosh, I don't know now it's a, you know, it's 160, 70 miles, you know, or better over there. And uh, yeah, they certainly have, I'd, I'd say they have 10 inches at least or better on us, you know. <laughs> So I guess the way I the mindset I have uh, about ranching is that it's kind of a land of opportunity. Like there are so many, so much diversity in the ranching industry uh, that you can. My apologies to Pete Farrell for using the word industry, but uh, you there is so much diversity within the in the ranching industry that you can use. Um, or you can do about whatever you want, really. I mean, you could be a stalker person, you could be a cow calf guy, you can be a seed stock guy, you can, uh, you know, and and then that's just within the the paradigm. And then you can get way outside the paradigm and do other kind of wild things and still call it ranching. Um, so, but and and then I think to pair that with the ranching for profit mindset or, and world would be to say, uh, what kind of really trips your trigger what what adds value in your life what makes you happy what part of this industry do you enjoy the most and and given our previous conversations for you i would say that's raising raising quality bucking bulls is is that kind of what drew you into this this business is it just that you enjoy it <laughs> you know when i was a kid i rode bulls so you know a lot of the early day folks in the bucking bull business uh uh, you know, would be bull riders. Uh, you know, today it's evolved and we have people from all walks of life that are involved in the industry, you know, today. But, you know, I would say that the lion's share early on were, you know, kind of guys that grew up around rodeo, lots of guys that rode bulls when they were young and, you know, want to continue that, you know, that in some form or fashion. So, you know, they, they raise bulls or become, you know, bull guys, bull trainers, uh, stock contractors, et cetera. But, uh, but I, I am, I like genetics. I like to breed animals. Uh, that, that is, that is just always something that has interests me. And, and I was thankful that, uh, you know, when I was in college and, and dreaming about, you know, what I would do one day, you know, with, with cattle, uh, the, the buck and bull business, uh, started to evolve in a, in a more, um, out front way. Uh, there's always been, you know, for decades and decades, I mean, there was guys that raised bulls, uh, raised bucking bulls, uh, but, but it was, uh, you know, uh, a very small group. Right. And, 
uh, in the late 90s, uh, a fellow by the name of Bob Tallman, who's, you know, one of the, you know, arguably the, you know, the, one of the greatest uh, rodeo announcers that, you know, ever picked up a microphone. But uh, Bob Tallman, he, he, uh, he was interested in bull genetics and, you know, and, you know, mainstreamed it, so to speak. Uh, when I was in college, when I was finishing up college, uh, the late nineties was the first time ever that some of the top bucking bulls in the nation at the time appeared in a, uh, uh, in genetic horizons, uh, uh, stud catalog, you know, where they, they were standing these bull stud and, and marketing the semen on them. And, and I would say that, you know, never before that time had that happened. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I believe that, you know, that, it would have been kind of around 97 or something like that uh, where, where those bulls, you know, were, were promoted in, you know, a mainline, you know, seed stock uh, uh, semen directory. And I got to thinking, gosh, this is, this is for real. You know, I could take those bulls and made them to beef cows at the time is what I thought crossbred beef cows and, you know, create bucking bulls. And so, so that, you know, that excited me and, and uh, you know, I couldn't wait to, to dive into it and, uh, you know, and did, and did just as quickly as I could out of college. But, uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I've always been interested in, in the genetics and, and, uh, and it, it's, it's a tough game. So I, I think the challenge is, uh, keeps my attention and, uh, you know, it's not easy. And so, uh, it's extra rewarding when you win. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's certainly certainly uh, been tough at times uh, over the years, but uh, but yeah, I, I you know continue to have a, a passion for it, and of course the industry continues to grow, so that's exciting. And so the the trajectory you know of the business is better than it's ever been. Uh, so so that's you know that's um, um, so what what is it that makes a a good buck and bull? Um, and yeah. I guess I'll leave it there. I, I, I have a bad habit of asking six questions <laughs> at one time. So what is it that makes a good buck and bull? A bull doesn't necessarily have to have a pedigree, but the odds go up when they do. And, uh, and I think, I think some of the qualities you'll find in some of the best bulls, and of course there's always an objection, you know, to every rule, but, uh, I think, I think you'll see that a lot of the great bulls have a good mind, uh, you know, people have always asked me when, when we've got to talking about the buck and bull business, particularly folks that, you know, don't know it, uh, maybe not even involved in the ag industry in, in any form or fashion, but just, you know, compelled by, by what I do here on a ranch. And, you know, they, they always think that <clears throat> the buck and bull is just terribly mean. And, uh, and that's what makes them good. And some are, uh, but I would say that most, most of the greats aren't. Or, or they're mean when they need to be. They know when to turn that switch on and off. And so, you know, the great buck and bulls last, and they last because they uh, of self-preservation. So, you know, uh, they take care of themselves. And so they're not, you know, they're not uh, wild with every motion, right? They, they, they handle decent. Again, I'm talking about most, most of the greats. I think that would be the common thread you'd find. And they've got a good mind. And, and when the shoot gate cracks, that's when they turn it on. Mm. And, uh, 
and a lot of the great bulls, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of a feel to them. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, they can feel a cowboy. They, they, they know when they, they feel a weight shift and they'll move away from it. So, you know, a lot of the great bulls, why, you know, most of them have sort of a pattern, uh, a set pattern that they buck and, and will sort of do the same thing most of the time. But the greats uh, have the ability to change it up when they feel something different. If they feel like they're getting rode, uh, you know, they'll do something different, change it up, spin the different, you know, the opposite direction or, or do something different. And uh, so, you know, I, I think a good mind being smart, I think is, is uh, uh, again, a common thread you'll see in the very, you know, best of the best bucking bulls. Of course, there is a criteria, you know, that they're judged on. And uh, so in the bucking bull competition game, uh, those bulls are, are judged on, like uh, five different categories. So one is buck. Uh, one is What's kick. the measurement of buck? So so buck would be like rare and and height. How high you the know, front like, front legs are, and then how high they get overall. Correct yep. on the front, and then the kick is is the rear. So you know how much extension do they kick through? Do they just kind of kick? You know, with half effort. Are they kicking at their belly? Or are they kicking up and kicking through? And so you'll you'll hear like in the industry they'll talk they'll they'll say uh, you know a bull kicking through himself. So I mean that's that's the fullest extension of the back legs and and just getting steep right. And then spin is the other criteria. So you know the judges today and the bulls that they like. I mean they want to see them bulls turn back. We don't want to see a bull, you know, hit the far side of the arena and, you know, bounce off and be halfway back before the whistle blows. They want them to stay close. And when they stay close, you know, they're spinning. Maybe it's tight and fast. Maybe it's, you know, what we'd call boxy, you know, where they're not, they're, they're coming around, but, you know, kind of getting ahead and then coming around and, you know, moving, moving forward and coming around. Some bulls will drift, <clears throat> excuse me, and drift would be like spin with a fade to it where they sort of, you know, they're, they're, they're spinning, but not, not like a top in one spot, you know, they're kind of moving out or fading out, drifting out. So, you know, there's different types of spin, but spin is one of the criteria and then, you know, degree of difficulty. So, you know, uh, that's one of the criteria. So whether a bull, a young bull in the buck and bull competitions, whether that bull is bucking under a dummy or he's an older bull and he's bucking under a man, uh, even if he's under a dummy, the judge is looking at if there was a man on his back, you know, what's the degree of difficulty? You know, what is he doing something different? Did he change it up? Like I mentioned earlier, if, if, uh, if, you know, if he's not getting rid of the rider, turning back left or the, or the dummy, you know, he changes it up and turn back, turns back the other way. So, you know, changes the, the degree of difficulty, or maybe he's got a big belly roll or does, you know, just does something, you know, uh, you know, extra wild, so to speak. And then the last one is uh, intensity. So how hard they're trying, right? Some bulls will just go through the motions and some bulls mean it, right? And and you can see that uh, even an untrained eye, you know, can, can see levels of intensity, you know, just how hard is that bull trying to throw that guy off or throw that dummy off? So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very good. Um, 
you know, I, I think of I at a one time in my life, I'm I, I don't know what my streak was, but I'm I've caught almost every one of the UFC pay per views, and they have they always talk about the judging criteria on there, and uh, one of the judging criteria on there is aggression, and and so um, you know, kind of going back to that mean when they need to be or or turning it on at the right time. And then I, th- I think when you were talking, it, it brought up, you know, the idea that, you know, if they feel that that bull rider get out of position, they might start their turn a little differently to keep making him out of position. And then you hear bull riders then talk about, uh, you know, I just couldn't catch up. I was, I got behind and then I, I never caught up and he ended up, you know, launching me or whatever. So I think if people haven't been around rodeo, um, you know, maybe, maybe some of those things are are new to them, but that's kind of how, how you see that play out. I think is, would you, would you agree? Yeah, I do. And it's funny. You met, you mentioned the UFC and, you know, mixed martial arts is one of my favorite sports. I mean, I, I just love the UFC and, and, uh, and I've compared bulls to, to fighters, you know, many, many times for years when, again, when I've met people that are interested and, and have no understanding, you know, haven't been around rodeo, haven't been around, you know, large farm animals or anything. And I say, you know, when, when they're asking about how mean these bulls are, and, and I've always drawn a comparison to these fighters. And so, you know, if a fighter uh, goes into the octagon and he's just wild mad and just goes to swinging, you know, recklessly and crazy, uh, he's not typically the guy that's going to win, right? The guy that slows his motor down and picks his shots and has some acumen and, you know, takes his time and does it deliberately, uh, you know, he'll pick that wild child off day and night, right? Mm-hmm. And. And, and I think the buck and bulls are the same way. I mean, uh, I think a lot of those bulls that have trouble slowing their motor down uh, often are the bulls that uh, wind up hurting their, themselves before they've realized their full potential. You know, we've seen that often with those kind of bulls that just have trouble, you know, slowing that motor down enough. Now, you don't want it, you know, you don't want it in neutral or, you know, you don't want it slowed way down. But there is a there is a sweet spot. Right. And uh and you know uh knowing how to play it and and not full throttle all the time is uh you know i I think is is a key element yeah yep very good you know and you mentioned them being gentle uh you know when when it isn't game time and i think you you're right they do recognize you know this is work you know i'm i'm walking down the alley there's a shoot i've got a flank strap on this is a work day but um, there's a guy that breeds bucking bulls and I don't know, I don't know anything about this bull that he brings, but, uh, that breeds bucking bulls in my neighborhood and is doing it at a reasonably high level, I think. Um, and he has this, and I, I don't know the breeds and we're going to get into that in just a minute, but I don't, I don't know the breeds, but he's got this, what looks to me like just a straight Brahma bull that he brings to this, um, rodeo. I, I think they call it the sp- special rodeo or something, but basically it's kids that participate in special Olympics. They bring all these, uh, farm animals out, ranch animals out and give them the opportunity to just interact with them. And they've got all kinds of games and things for them. And it's during the South Dakota high school finals rodeo. And he brings this Brahma bull out and he's a buck and bull breeder. So I'm assuming it's a, a buck and bull, uh, you know, sire of some kind or something. And, and he's got a ring in its nose and it, 
just stands there all day and they put kids on them, you know, these kids that have different uh, dif- disabilities of, of different of different kinds to put bulls on him, let him pet him, let him sit on him, you know, all those things. And he just is there every year and never had an issue, just fine. So kind of an interesting example, I guess. Sure. Well, I, I've seen great buck and bulls, you know, be that way. And, and there's some that, that aren't, right? I, I don't, I don't want to say that, uh, you know, all the greats are, are quiet and gentle because there's certainly been some greats that, that are, aren't that way, right? And, uh, and that's okay, right? You, you figure them out and it's just like humans, you know, you just, you know, not everyone's cut out of the same mold, you know, even if you grew up in the same neighborhood. So uh, it's, you know, they're all different. And so I, I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's you cannot speak in absolutes, probably right. in everything, but but certainly not in the buck and bull business because uh, they'll make a liar out of you every time. But yep. I was going to tell you about a bull that uh, he was the three-time uh, PBR buck and bull of the year, world champion bull, sweet pros bruiser, an outstanding bull, and uh, you know really bucked. And uh, he, uh, you could pet him. I mean, he was he was plum gentle. I I had the opportunity to. I was visiting the ranch that that bull was born on and, uh, and you know, where he was, uh, you know, they're stock contractors as well. So they raise bulls and carry them all the way to the, the PBR and, and the whole nine yards. And so I was there looking at bulls and, and I saw Bruiser at a pen, uh, and I walked down to, to see him and he, he met me at the fence and, uh, not to hit me, but he wanted me to pet him <laughs> and, uh, and I pet him. And I stepped away and he turned around, he gave me his other side, you know, and, and put his other side against the fence, you know, so, and, and, uh, you know, just a big pet, but, but double rank when it was kind of time to do work, you know? Mm. Yeah. So. Do you remember a bull called Crystalix? Uh, no, he might've been from my neighborhood, but I, I remember, um, and, and this would have been probably in the mid nineties, um, and they would bring him to the to the Black Hills Roundup in Belfouche. And I, I'm pretty sure I remember it happening more than once where they, and I think it was a four by four, they would put above his head uh, when he was in the chute and you could hear that thing from across the arena crack when he would hit it. He'd lift, lift his head up and just snap it. And the guy I was sitting with, I remember him telling me this is kind of a, a showmanship deal from the stock contractor that this bull's, you know, big and tough or whatever. But yeah, I, 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 that's one, one specific bull memory that sticks out from, for me personally. And, and I, yeah, anyways, I haven't been around, I haven't been as deep into the business as you are. So maybe I'm speaking out of school or something, but <laughs> I, I've seen that and particularly in years past they would rear in the chute uh, mm-hmm. to the point that they might flip over, right. you know, just where they were kind of treacherous. Uh, they would slide a four by four, you know, over their hump, you know, just, you know, past the, you know, past their head and kind of across their neck just to, you know, just to keep them from coming over backwards on you. Yep. And, you know, they'd slide it out on their way out. Right. So, right. Yep. Yeah, you're right on. Um, yeah. So what, what about breeds? Um, and I guess, I I don't know the state by state breakdown of who listens to this podcast anymore. I used to have those statistics, but I don't uh, right now. Um, but I I know I I do have a healthy audience in the South, uh, especially Texas, but uh, other other places South and East as well. So, um, but I'm I'm in 
black hided cattle country, you know? Um, and, and so I'm not exposed to, you know, the, the Brayfords and, and those kinds of things, but what are some of the breeds that have worked their way into, uh, what are used as buck and bulls now? I would say all of the Brahmin crossbreds that you could think of, right? <laughs> so, so Brayford, Charbray, Simbra, I mean, you, you name them, uh, uh, what was it? The Bromazine. I mean, you know, <laughs> there, there was all sorts of, uh, you know, combinations with the, the Brahmin, right? The, the old, uh, you know, the, the great F1, the Hereford, Hereford, uh, Brahmin cross, first cross. Uh, so, I mean, you would find all of them, uh, in the American buck and bull. Uh, so, uh, the American buck and bull is, is a breed today, uh, it, it's a breed made up. I mean, it's truly a Heinz 57, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you, you would find Longhorns, Watusis, uh, uh There's a, one of the early day lines of buck and bulls was developed by uh, two gentlemen, a guy named Tom Harlan and, and uh, Charlie Plummer. And the Plummer line uh, held that name. So, so they call, you know, Plummer Bulls and, and uh, those plumbers had white park in them. Uh, so you'll see a lot of the plumber genetics will have that, uh, you know, black ears, black nose, you know, white, white, hide, white hided, and then just, uh, you know, black points like the, the old white parks. And so, of course, I've seen some longhorn cattle, you know, colored that way. So mm. uh, truly a Heinz 57. And in the last, you know, 20 years, uh, you know, the, the, the registry or the association has started to, you know, uh, you know, aggregate the genetics. So, so today, I mean, you, you wouldn't find a, you know, a heaping handful of any of those breeds that I just talked about. Right. I mean, the, the, those individual cattle are so diluted now, uh, that, you know, truly the American buck and bull today is, is really a Heinz 57 of, you know, just great, great bulls and the daughters and granddaughters and great daughters buy them. Right. So, um, you know, I, this is a, this is a fun fact for me and, and I just learned it this week and I've been, <laughs> I've been in the buck and bull business for, you know, over 20 years. Uh, the, the first year that the American buck and bull incorporated, which is the registry and the association, uh, the first year it started, I became a member. And so, you know, I've, I've been around this thing for, you know, you know, since the beginning, so to speak. And, and I had no idea and just learned this week, uh, I heard the president of the ABBI, uh, state that, that, uh, our registry is the third largest cattle registry in the nation. <laughs> I would have never guessed that. Right. Uh, you talked about you live in black hided country. I think everyone lives in black hided country. <laughs> I, I don't care where you where you're at. I mean, you know those black cattle. You know, rule of the day. They've done a great job with marketing, and uh, mm-hmm. you know and the, the industry demands them, right? And so, uh, you know, of course, most of those cows you and I see are commercial cows. So um, I would imagine. I don't know what the other two breeds are. I would imagine that Angus is you know, probably one or two, but uh, I, I, I had no idea that, uh, by, by regist- registry, uh, with the third largest cattle registry 
in the nation. So uh, three over 300,000 cattle are in, are in the registry. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I would here. guess, I would guess it would be probably Angus and then maybe Holstein, just given the number of milk cows in this country. But yeah, could be, know. could be. I don't, I, I don't know, but I was, I would have never, I would, I wouldn't have guessed we were in the top 10. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring, or I bring up Holsteins. I think it's pretty common knowledge or uh, people I've heard it said that people or that, that all the Holstein cows in, in, in America basically go back to two sires at this point. And it kind of sounds like the American bucking bill is the opposite of that. <laughs> it's, it's everything mixed together and then kind of, they found a recipe that worked pretty well and they started to uh, use bulls that, that were similar and, and, and started to, uh, just kind of select for those traits and, and they all kind of now look pretty similar, really. I mean, there's a lot of different color, but it's a lot of brindle, a lot of big, uh, horns on, on, you know, on, on them that are, uh, yeah, kind of shaped the same way. And, and some of those things. We've seen some programs, uh, that have had great success and, uh, and a lot of people have gone to those programs, uh, for genetics. So we're starting to see, uh, we're starting to see more close relations, so to speak, or at least pools, right, uh, of, of genetics. We're, we're seeing that, you know, getting dialed in a little bit tighter than it would have been, say, a decade ago. Uh, but still, I, I would agree with your summary. It's, I mean, it's still A to Z. Uh, there isn't two or three or ten sires that, you know, the whole gene pool goes back to, like you would find in, you know, so many of the of the good, you know, traditional beef breeds. Right. But, but I do want to mention while we're talking about the registry that um, what I think is unique. And I, I, I'm just from my limited, uh, you know, time spent around other associations and that, but uh, I, I, our, our, our uh, registry, we have to prove the DNA. So it's, it's not by the honor system. So uh, when I send my registration papers or, or my registration request, I should say, uh, to, you know, enter a bull or a heifer into the registry, uh, I can't just tell them what the sire and dam is. I have to send a DNA sample. And so that's done either by blood or uh, tail hair, tail hair samples. And, and the registry, uh, the ABBI, they then verify what I'm telling them is fact. And so when I get a set of registration papers on an animal, the sire and dam have been proved by DNA. So uh, I, I think that's unique. Um, I know with the cow dogs I raise, I mean, I can just tell the registry who the, who the dad is and who the mother is and, you know, away we go. And, and I know in some other beef cattle breeds, you can do that as well. Um, I suspect probably in, in horses. Uh, I don't know that as fact, so maybe I'd have tread lightly, but, but I've always thought that that was, uh, I've always thought that that was a great thing that the ABBI, you know, has done to purify, um, you know, the product, so to speak. I mean, it, it is absolutely verified. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we can speak in, in absolutes when it comes to genetics, right? And uh, as a, just a side note, are those black mouth yellow curs that you're raising? 
that's 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 them. Yeah, I was creeping on your Facebook page and I saw some. That's okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking. I was looking for the picture. You had a picture of a a bull that. I mean, his heels were straight above his head, and I was looking for that picture for extension, an example of extension. But yeah, yeah, it's kick, I guess. But and if you don't find it, I'll send you another. All right, sounds good. Just to clarify or to make sure I got this right for my own history, Bodacious was straight Charlet, right? I would call him a Charbray. Charbray, okay. He looked straight Charlet to me, but I uh, I have very untrained eyes. <laughs> yeah, he definitely would have had a little Brahmin influence. In him. Gotcha. I, I did see him in the flesh. Okay. You know, when I was when I was a kid, but uh, huh? you, you'll find him and I mean, uh, he uh, he never turned out to be you know the greatest uh, sire of bulls, but mm-hmm. you'll find that his daughters, granddaughters, great granddaughters, etc. Uh, a lot of uh, producing cows uh, in the registry will go back to bodacious. So you know it, it's. It's interesting what some sires will do, right? Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, um, you know, this is the Working Cows podcast. We're talking about business, the business side of this. So I don't want to leave that aside, but I do want to talk a little bit more about training or how, what that, what the life cycle of one of these bulls looks like, um, you know, from birth through maybe appearance in a rodeo that somebody might have heard of. How how sure. what does that look like? Well, we can start training these bulls uh, when they're a year old. So uh, training would look like this. Uh, you know, we're, we're we start to put a handle on them. You know, getting them used to being you know handled on the ground. You know, going through a gate. You know, being handled in the back pens. You know, and and you know. Uh, going up lead ups into the buck and shoot what we call shoot etiquette, you know, standing in the shoot and not, you know, not thrashing too terribly bad or flipping over or laying down, you know, just getting them used to, Hey, the shoot's not here to hurt you. Uh, and, and then, and then as a, a yearling animal, we'll buck those bulls under a dummy. And the dummy is just a, a, a metal box. Um, Oh, you know, they're, they're from, I don't know, six to 15 pounds, depending on the size you get. Uh, but it, it, it's a metal box, uh, that, that cinches on with a saddle cinch. It has, it has sort of a seat belt type, uh, release sort of like you'd have in your car. And we have a remote control or a remote switch that, that we can push the button and it'll release that, that seat belt, so to speak. And, and allow the bull to buck that dummy off. And so uh, that dummy is just there for, for weight to simulate sort of a rider. There's, there's no legs or anything. It's just, like I said, it's just cinched on with like a saddle cinch and latigos. Um, sits in the middle of their back, just like a rider would. And then we have a flank strap and the flank strap is just a cotton, cotton rope with an O-ring, typically an O-ring on one end. And we just tie that flank around the flanks of the bull uh, why we're talking about the flank, I'll, you know, I'll, people always ask about it. Uh, that flank does not go around the testicles. Of the bull. It, Sorry. It, it is, it is, it's simply a belt, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's around their flanks, just like a belt is around your waist, right? But bulls don't wear belts, so they don't like it. They want it gone. 
It, it is there to promote them to kick through, like I mentioned earlier, kicking through to extend because they want that flank off of them, right? It's not natural to them. It doesn't hurt them. Uh, it's not hocked in them. It's not tight. Uh, all bulls are different. So the trainers figure out the nuances. Some bulls buck really good with it, you know, hanging on there. Some needs to be a little bit snugger, uh, but it's not causing pain in any way. There's no barbs. There's no electric filaments in it. Any of these things that, you know, you've heard on the street from the, you know, less informed people that, you know, think that, you know, they're hurting animals at rodeo. This, this thing does not hurt them at all. Uh, doesn't leave a mark, right? So it's tied on. Uh, we have a flank pin and a tether uh, where the flank uh, through the pin and the tether is tied to the dummy. So it's like a, uh, so when we buck the dummy off, uh, it pulls the pin and the pin is through the knot on the flank. So it drops the flank and the dummy. So everything is bucked off. So it's like a pressure and release, right? On hmm. Like you hear uh, people that train horses or dogs, you know, hmm. uh, when that bull, when we're training a young bull, when he does something special, uh, uh, you know, really tries hmm. hard, we, we, we release the dummy, right? So Even if it's learned. prior to six, uh, eight seconds? Correct. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, and, and it, in the training pen, it could be one second. It could be two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if the bull really doesn't do something, you might leave it on longer to try to see, hey, you're going to, you know, you're going to try harder to get this thing off. Uh, it's up to the trainer's discretion, right? So, uh, but it's seconds, right? Uh, and the dummy's off. And like I said, everything's stripped. So we're doing that at a year, right? And that bull will buck under a dummy, clear through his two-year-old year, right? So uh, in the buck and bull business, we have the ABBI, the registry that I talked about. Uh, in addition to being the, the animal or the breed registry, uh, they also, also administrate all of the, uh, the buck and bull competitions, the sanctioned competitions for the ABBI. So we have uh, yearling classes, uh, where they buck these yearling bulls in competition uh, as yearlings. And then we have the two-year-old, which we call the futurity uh, uh, system. And and those are competitions where the bulls are bucked under the dummy. And uh, the dummy in the competitions rides the bull for four seconds, right? So, so it's just a four-second, uh, you know, trip mm-hmm. under the dummy. And again, that's at year one and two. A buck and bull doesn't have the physical size. Most, there are some exceptions, right? Uh, but most don't have the physical size size to carry a man and not hurt themselves till they're about three years old, right? Uh, so, so at three, typically is when you'll see these bulls, you know, experience their first bull rider, right? And so, uh, so in the ABBI and other associations that have buck and bull competitions uh the three-year-old year year, we call the derby and then at a four-year-old we call that the classic competition so that's three and four-year-old competitions where those bulls are bucked under a cowboy and that guy can ride him for eight seconds you know or or ride him for half a second right and and the bull is judged on his performance on that that five piece criteria that i laid out for you earlier um so then as a four-year-old, uh, the ABBI I uh, uh, 
should mention is is partly owned by the PBR. The PBR is the professional bull riders. It's it is the NFL of professional bull riding, the NBA. I mean, it is the top of the food chain of bull riding, right? So so the PBR is involved with the ABBI, both in ownership and in the competition piece. So these three and four-year-old competitions, uh, often those, some of those events throughout the year are laid in alongside of a PBR competition, right? A PBR event, you know, with the top bull riders in, in, the, in the world, you know, that, that are in the PBR. And, and then the finals, the ABBI uh, Derby and Classic finals uh, is held during the PBR World Finals in Las Vegas every year. So, um, so they're, they're running together. So that, that's, that's sort of the competition, you know, life cycle. Again, they can buck as a yearling, two-year-old futurity, three-year-old derby, four-year-old classic. After that, uh, you know, they enter, they enter the real world, so to speak, where they're, you know, they're either, uh, you know, if they're, if they're great, they could be at the PBR they could be a PRCA pro rodeo type bull on some stock contractor's truck, or they could be, you know, on some amateur string, you know, somewhere, uh, you know, um, so if, if, yep. Is, is there attrition then all the way along or is there some level where this bull still might, he might be a late bloomer and he might actually show his true colors and his real ability in the Derby or the classic, or is there some bulls that, they they take them to the futurity. They take them to the the next step, and then well, this isn't really going to work out. We're gonna we're gonna go a different direction. He's gonna go work for McDonald's or whatever. Bulls won't won't buck really at a high level under a dummy, but they'll show you some tools, right? They'll 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 leave some clues and some evidence that hey, you know, they're really not you know doing everything you'd want them to do under a dummy, but but it looks like if we let them grow up, they will be what we call riderable. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of great, great buck and bulls that, uh, you know, weren't very, uh, you know, just weren't that impressive under a dummy. Now they weren't, you know, uh, it's not night and day. I mean, a bull that runs off under a dummy is probably not going to be a superstar when he's three. Right. Um, but if he just doesn't have all the tools, it just, you know, the most perfect out under a dummy, but he's got a lot of kick. Maybe he's got some intensity. Maybe he's not spinning under the dummy, but really kicking and getting in the air and, and trying hard. And, you know, you put a, you let him grow up and you put a rider on him and, you know, you get a cowboy with legs and a full body, you know, instead of a, yeah. you know, a 15 pound dummy, you've got a whole torso standing up over the back of your head, you know, uh, that's a lot more stimulation. Right. And so, uh, uh, you know, there's there's lots of those bulls that will be much better performers when they when they're allowed to get older, right? Mm. Uh, but yeah, through, throughout the process, there's always a you know there's there's a, you're always you're always sorting. I mean, there's always a, a cut, right? Yeah. So hey, he's just not going to make it. So you know, those bulls just get salvaged out. So go to the sale barn and. If they're young enough, somebody makes a steer out of them and, you know, grazes them. Yep. So, so I want, and, and, and I know we're well into this discussion now, and, but I do want to turn to the business side of it. And, um, let me 
give you the rundown as I understand it. And if I missed anybody, uh, let me know. And then, and then I'll ask a follow-up question. But so we've got breeders like yourself, people who are raising stock to go on to become bucking bulls. And then they, then you've got trainers and you've got stock contractors. Uh, who am I missing in the business side of this industry? Well, you'll have, uh, I I'd say there's a couple tiers of trainers, right? So you'll have, you'll have, uh, you'll have guys that will, maybe they don't have cows, but they'll buy young bulls and grow them up and, and start to train them, you know, at, uh, you know, at a B level, so to speak. And then you have, you have trainers that, uh, that train bulls for a living, you know, uh, you know, that that's what they do. And they're hauling bulls to competitions week in, week in and week out. And, uh, uh, those guys may, may be training the very top end, right? And there might be a, like, again, a, uh, a, a B league, so to speak, trainer that's, that's kind of vetting the bulls from, you know, unbucked to, you know, to letting the cream rise to the top. And then maybe those bulls on the top end go to the, you know, to a more elite trainer. So again, it's all the trainer bucket, but uh, there's certainly, uh, you know, guys that are, that, got a little better skill sets than others. Right. So, okay. So let me, let me lay it out and, and, and see if this is, is how it plays out. You are the, you're the breeder, so to speak. You're the guy raising calves to be, to be, uh, perform as bucking bulls. And then is your customer a trainer? The guy that's buying the bull from you, is he a trainer or how does that work? Could be. So the, the other, the other piece would just be investors, absentee, investors that that have an interest in the buck and bull industry maybe mm. pbr fans want to own a bull and you know you've got people that uh you know live in a subdivision somewhere and have ownership of bulls and keep them with you know a trainer right uh, and they get together with their friends in the subdivision and watch their bull buck on tv so there there are a number of those folks in the industry now. <laughs> uh so uh my target could be both the trainer, it could be absentee. Our first order of business is to sell a calf that could enter the futurity system, right? They can compete as a yearling and two-year-old. Um, you know, that that's what we're looking for right away. And then we're going to market that calf to somebody that wants to own that, that futurity calf. Now, whether that's a trainer or that's a trainer that's training bulls for half a dozen different, you know, investors, some that maybe have cattle uh or some that live in a subdivision like I, like i you know mentioned but uh, so we're going to market those cattle to those those players uh people that want to compete in that futurity game bucking those calves under a dummy as a yearling and a two-year-old so that that's our that's our target uh the bulls that look like they're going to mature be later bloomers you know that we've got to carry to to uh to, to rider age, you know, before, you know, they'll probably realize their full potential. We're looking at that point, we're looking for maybe a stock contractor type, uh, that, that, uh, you know, has some country that can turn these bulls out and let them grow for another year, year and a half. And, and then, you know, see if they can develop them as a, as a bucking bull, either for a competition or just as a using bull, you know? And so, uh, 
maybe that that guy is a stock contractor himself uh, and he's got some country to turn them bulls out and, you know, take them off the shelf at a later date. Or maybe it's somebody that's sort of like a sort of like a grower, so to speak, that would turn those bulls out, uh, go through them uh, when they're three and then remarket them to stock contractor type folks. Right. So uh, there's a number of different you know, ways you can, you know, play the game. So sure. it sounds like your marketing venue is, is a cell phone and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm wondering, does it ever happen where you load up a, a trailer load of calves or, or whatever they would be at that point, short yearlings or, and take them to a competition and they get bucked out under a dummy and then they're sold based on their performance there. Does, does that happen at all in the industry? Well, it has happened, but, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, not so not not so much anymore. Uh, there there has been that there, there has been breeders that have had competitions or have bucked bulls uh, at an event and then marketed them after you know either after that trip immediately or you know maybe later that night. Um, but I, I would say that you know there isn't really a today. I don't want to criticize the ABBI in any way because they've done just tremendous work for the industry. But if there was something on my wish list, I, I, I would like to see the ABBI create some sort of, uh, now they, they do have, they do have an annual sale, sort of an elite sale at Vegas during the world finals, but it would be nice if we had some sort of sanctioned, uh, type of, you know, sale, uh, where we could buck bulls where, uh, you know, the, the, where it was a marketing tool. I mean, right. it was not a competition, but hey, if you want to consign your bull and carry it to this place, we're going to buck these bulls and we're going to market it and we're going to have buyers in the stands and, you know, we're going to sell these bulls after we buck them. Uh, I, you know, I think that would be a, a real blessing to the industry if, if you know, uh, we could put our heads together and put something like that together. I would say most of the bulls today by the majority of the breeders are marketed uh, a lot through social media by video. So, uh, a lot of your bull raisers like myself have an arena, you know, our own arena on the ranch, uh, you know, so we can buck these bulls at our house. And, you know, of course, everyone's got a tablet or an iPhone or a iPad or something nowadays. So we video those bulls and then, you know, post them on social media and, and, uh, you know, in our, in our world, so to speak. And, you know, people see these videos and, and, uh, you know, they're buying prospects to maybe go compete with next year or this year, depending on, you know, what the play is. And, and, uh, but I, I would say that, you know, the lion's share among most of the breeders, uh, are marketed online via video of the bulls bucking. So, uh, there are some breeders that will sell their whole calf crop unbucked, you know, guaranteed unbucked used to see a little more of that in years past, but, you know, I think today, you know, uh, most, most of these bulls are gone through, uh, and then sold after, after you can lay eyes on them and see what, see what they get done. So sure. The, yeah. the great ones, the great ones are so valuable, you know, today that, uh, I think everyone just wants to see what they have. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and and we've been we've been going a, a while, but I really this is a fascinating conversation to me. So I, I, if you got some time, I'd I'd keep yeah, going I, for. A I have time. I, I hope I'm 
not off in the weeds too much. So yeah. No, I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm enjoying it. So, I mean, the reason I asked that question is because that is like, I, I think it's pretty common. I remember my brother going to buck and horse sales in college. Um, and then they have the mile city buck and horse sale every, every year in mile city, Montana. So I, I think it happens pretty regularly. Um, so, so I'm, I'm sort of, and you're right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, you know, I want to be clear to everybody. And so I'm, I'm sort of looking through a lens of a, uh, again, the born to buck program and I'm going to market a yearling or a long yearling calf. Right. So that's, that's sort of the lens I'm looking through, but you're right. There, there are bucking stock sales. Uh, you know, one of the biggest is Binion's bucking stock sale that's held every year during the national finals rodeo. And so, you know, these would be, you know, full grown, ready to haul bucking bulls and bucking horses that, that are bucked under riders. There's a competition, you know, so that's just like a, just like a, you know, a, a rodeo event. So the bull riders are competing right. uh, and, and the bronc riders and bareback riders are competing. And just so happens that after they ride or get thrown off their animal, an auctioneer cries a bid and it's sold. Right. So, <laughs> so Binion's big sale, you mentioned Miles city buck and horse sale, same. Uh, you've got the Joe Simon sale that's uh, during the IFR, which is the international finals rodeo mm. in Oklahoma city. Mm. And so they have a two day, uh, buck and stock sale. There's also, a uh, a group that puts on the Texas, uh, Texarkana buck and bull sale that that's gone on for decades, uh, where they make a, you know, a bull riding competition and then buck these bulls and then they're sold immediately after their trip. So, I mean, as soon as they throw the guy off or the guy rides them, whichever, auctioneer cries the bid sells them and you know out the arena they go and the next one goes and you know and, and so yes there there is a number of those opportunities but those are for you know age bulls and and your target audience there is a stock contractor period right right and so, by age bull you're talking three four at least right yeah a bull that can carry a man yeah. and and go on somebody's truck and go to a rodeo or a bull riding competition and if you if you don't want competition in this industry, you can answer just flat no to this question. But is there room in this industry for people interested to get into it and start start playing the game? Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned the the fact that I just learned this week that uh, you know the ABBI is the third largest uh, cattle registry in the nation, right? So uh, there there are people moving into this thing. You know, sounds like uh, you know at least by the small truckloads, you know, it's very compelling. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, there's, there's a lot of room for creativity in it, right? It's, it's, you know, one, it's a, it's a fledgling industry in some regards uh, Two, the, the gaming side of it. Uh, and, you know, the, the ability to win money and lots of it with these bulls creates opportunities for, you know, the guy that I mentioned in the, in the subdivision, you know, right. So to speak, there's, there's fractional share type ownership. So, Hey, you know, I, I want to buy a big time bull, but I don't have 50,000. Well, but I have 5,000. So, you know, maybe you put together 10 guys, right. So there, there's all kinds of creative ways to market these cattle and, and participate in this, in this world. Uh, and I think that's compelling. It's, you know, it's interesting. There's, it's exciting. You can, 
own a bull and watch him on TV, you know, and you can go to Las Vegas and watch him, you know, with your friends. I mean, it's just, it's very, it's a very interesting uh, deal. And it, and it's, it's very challenging because like I said, at the onset, uh, you know, raising a superstar is, is a tall task. And so uh, I just, I think it keeps people's attention. It's, it's exciting. And, and I think, you know, it will do nothing but grow. And, and every year the purses get higher. So at the finals this year, back in November, the ABBI finals, they paid out almost $2 million. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, that'll get people's attention. Right. So, and, and it makes the bulls valuable. And they, I, I think I, I heard them say that by spring of next year, so that'll be not even a full season. Right. So our, our, our world finals is during the PBR world finals in Las Vegas in November every year. So I think they said in the futurity game only, the Buck and Bulls under a dummy, the yearling and futurity, I think their projection was that they would pay out like over $2 million by spring next year. Hmm. So you know, that's half the season. And that's just in one piece of the gaming industry. You know, that, that's, that, that quote was not considering the, the three and four year old bulls. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think this deal continue to grow and, uh, and I think it'll grow with a lot of different types of owners. Right. Um, I don't know that, uh, well, I suspect you'll see some growth in the, the cow calf as I call it piece of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I think there's probably, there's probably a, a little more blue sky in in some of the absentee type ownership arrangements. Right. So, yep. Is there a way that, that the buck and bull business can, um, can complement a, a beef cow calf business or are they, are they siloed? No, no, I think they can. Uh, we have a cow calf operations and, uh, you know, most of the infrastructure is all the same. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a cow's a cow. Now, uh, I will say that the rodeo bred cattle, uh, you know, the disposition on the cattle is a little bit different. Uh, you know, some of these cows are gentle and fine, but, but, uh, I think the Brahmin influence, uh, it creates a little, le- a little more in- intelligence and hopefully I don't offend the boss Taurus people, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Brahmin cattle have some intelligence and, and these cattle can be a little bit, uh, a little more difficult to pen. Uh, they like a bucket of feed just like every other, but they're, they're wise to, you know, they, <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of them won't blindly just walk into a wheel corral and let you get around them. You know, they'll run in, grab a bite to eat and run out, you know? So, so it, it does the infrastructure, you know, I said that it's the same. Well, it is largely, but there's, there are some nuanced pieces that, you know, maybe, you know, just to uh, some things that you would set up that would allow you to more easily handle cattle that, that have a little bit more of a wild side to them. Um, you know, but other than that, I mean, they're a cow and, uh, you know, the bulls, we don't have any problem with the bulls. I mean, that, and by bulls, I mean, the herd sires, I mean, they're, you know, by the time they're a man, most of them have, you know, settle down and they, you know, they handle just like, just like any other. Now, some of them, some of them will have a disposition, you know, problem be a little bit hot, you know, maybe not like to be crowded so much. And, you know, some of them can be mean, but if you're, 
if you're game for that and you're willing to handle that, I mean, that's, you know, uh, you know, like say you, you could ranch these cattle just, just the same. And, and what's interesting, if you have an appetite for it and you're interested in it, the, uh, the upside is, is great. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you have a, uh, 600 pound steer, you know, black steer and the market says he's worth a dollar and a half a pound today, you know, that's all you're going to get. I mean, if, if the stars align and he's got, you know, and he, he could go be grazed and somebody really needs one, he might bring a couple bucks, a hundred more. Right. But he's not going to bring $3,000. Right. I mean, he's just, and with a buck and bull calf, uh, you know, if he, if he does it, you could sell him for 10, 20, 30, $50,000. I mean, if, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, that, that's, that's exciting. That excites me. Right. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, is it, is it a seed stock business essentially in that the heifers go, go to other breeders and, and end up producing bull calves for, for bucking? Is that, cause it's kind of the opposite of the, of the beef business in that you're, you know, you cut those steers and keep the heifers for replacements. Um, you know, it, it's different anyways. It may be not be the opposite, but it, where do the heifers end up? Yeah. The heifers, uh, the heifers uh, should end up in somebody's breeding program. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, if, if you're on purpose with your, your, uh, your breeding and you're mating, you know, good cows to exceptional bulls, you know, every generation sh- terms of genetics should be a little bit stronger. Right. Right. So I think the heifers have a tremendous amount of value. Uh, They should. Um, uh, They have this last year, um, the ABBI in the, the yearling buck and bull competitions allowed uh, heifers to compete. And, and I think that's outstanding because in any of the, you know, in, in performance, in the performance horse business or the racehorse business, you know, uh, you know, those fillies can run with the Colts, right? So, uh, and then those fillies that can run fast, you know, wind up being broodmares and, you know, in hopes that she'll pass that speed on to her babies. Right. And so, uh, I'm, I'm really excited that the ABBI has embraced the heifer. Uh, of course she only has one year to compete because as a two-year-old, she ought to be having a calf, you know? So, so they just let her compete as a yearling. And, uh, and this year, actually, I, I can't remember the calf's name was buttons and, uh, in the, in the yearling competition out in Vegas. And I can't remember, I think she won it. Hmm. Uh, I think if, if she didn't win it, she was second. Wow. I wish, I wish I could tell you exactly, but I do remember her name was buttons. And, uh, and she was, uh, I don't know. She's was like 90, three and some change or 94 points. I mean, she was, she was very, I mean, rank. And, uh, and so I think that adds value to the heifers that one, we can compete them. And then two, if they, if they really have, you know, if they can really buck, then, you know, the probability, at least it's another, it's another move in the right direction. It's, it's not absolute, but it's, you know, the probability goes up that if she bucks and you breed her to something that bucks, you know, you ought to be able to make something to bucks, right? I mean, it's just logical, right? So, so uh, there, there's guys now that uh, a lot of guys will buck their heifer calves just at home and then keep back the replacements 
uh, of the ones that really buck, you know, and then the ones that don't, maybe they'll just take to the local stockyard and, you know, cash them out. But, uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's value in both the male and female, obviously the, the bulls, you know, there's a little more there, but, uh, but the heifer is, <laughs> the heifer in, in my mind is the Holy grail because she's, she's eventually the factory. And what we found out in the buck and bull business, as other industries have found out, it's, it's, uh, you'll find a pattern that uh, these females that produce good bulls, uh, they will continue to do so and their daughters and granddaughters and so on and so forth will have a higher probability of doing the same. So, you know, it's, it's the cow families that, that, that a guy wants to focus on in terms of athletics, you know, athleticism. And and I think, I don't think I'm wrong that that the horse industry is, is the same way, you know, some of these mare lines, I mean, they, you know, you still need that good sire, but, um, focusing on the, the females that do it and keeping back the daughters and granddaughters of those, those, uh, I think it's when you start really getting things dialed in. Oh I, we, yeah. We could go a long time here, uh, Bob, but I, I guess, um, much to the chagrin of my teachers, I never ran out of questions and, and I actually am not out of good questions. I don't think I got, I got two more for sure. Um, and one of them we talked about already. And I, I said, you know, when we go to a rodeo, um, you know, sometimes maybe often my family has been known to get up and leave during the bull riding because not many bulls get rode anymore. And it's, it seems like the performance of bulls has outpaced the performance of cowboys. Do you see that as maybe a, a situation where the bull breeders need to take the foot off the gas or is it a situation where the cowboys just need to get better? <laughs> I think the Cowboys need to get better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I wouldn't advocate the taking the foot off the pedal to circle back or, or go back to, you know, what I was telling you in terms of the purse money and, and the trajectory for the, you know, the purse in bull competitions. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's going to do nothing but, put more people on the path to try to create, you know, the next great superstar that's better than the one last year. So, so, you know, I think the riders are going to have to, they're just going to have to, uh, you know, come to the dance. Cause I, I don't think we're going to throttle it back or, you know, there's, there's associations and, and other, you know, places somebody can compete. That's not at the, you know, the top, top level. Right. But, um, you know, look at the money though today in the PBR. Uh, you know, uh, these top bull riders when they retire, uh, if they were smart with their money, uh, they don't have to take a day job. They can continue to do what they love. You know, with maybe, you know, they're not going to ride bulls anymore, but maybe they'll ranch or do something. You know, that's similar, and and have the money to do it. I mean these top, top bull riders retire millionaires. And, and, uh, so, you know, that, that should be motivation on their end. I mean, you don't see the, uh, uh, a lot of these guys, I mean, certainly in the PBR again, I mean, these guys are athletes and, you know, they, the, the top end of them guys have nutrition programs. Uh, they're in the gym, 
you know, they, they take this deal serious because, you know, they really, the, the earning potential, why they're young and physically able is unlike it's ever been, you know, and literally, literally when they get done, if they're an elite, uh, they have enough money to, you know, maybe not sit on their laurels, but sure pick what they want to do, sure. you know, and not be forced into some sort of day job just to make ends meet. Yep. So, so and the, and the bulls, the bulls can retire to become a stud, right? I mean, is that is that yeah, would that? Well, good. And I guess my last question is: Could you just tell me about the bull that you raised or that was born on your place that you're most proud of? Sure. Yeah, the, the bull that I'm most proud of is, is a bull called Biker Bob. Um, we raised him, and and uh, I guess what I'm maybe equally proud of is we raised his mother and and her mother. Wow. And I'd have to give it some thought. I may have raised her mother. So that, that really, you know, that really makes me proud. But, but biker Bob was the uh, national champion or world champion three-year-old derby bull in an association called the UBBI in 2016. Uh, so he was, he was the world champ. Um, his, as a three-year-old, his four-year-old year, he went on the PBR truck. Uh, incidentally, Chad Berger, who is, uh, you know, top many time stock contractor of the year in PBR, seven, eight, nine time, you know, stock contractor of the year. Uh, he he owns him and, and owned him then. We actually sold Biker Bob to his son-in-law and he competed with him as a three-year-old. Like I said, he won the, won the world that year in the UBBI. And then, and then Chad Berger put him on his PBR truck as a four-year-old. And, uh, he went, uh, you know, across the country everywhere. I mean, just right away. I think his, his first uh, PBR was in Oklahoma city and, you know, two weeks later was in California and that bull just took it no matter where they hauled him. He, he came to the show and, uh, he went to the PBR world finals four years Mm. and, uh, and was a top bull. I mean, a, a featured kind of bull, um, not, not a long rounder. I mean, he would have been, you know, what we'd call a short round or, you know, a featured type top end bull, you know, all four years. And uh, when they rode him, they, you know, win lots of money. I mean, be 90, 90 on him, you know, plus. And uh, so uh, he got hurt. I should say also, uh, so last year he, uh, he was also selected to go to the national finals rodeo and, uh, and he was injured, so he didn't get to go, uh, but he was selected. So, you know, I was proud of that. And, uh, and he since, you know, just that injury that, you know, kept him from going to the, the national finals rodeo last year. Uh, he just couldn't ever get over it. Uh, Chad tried to, you know, lay him off and then they'd crack him back out and he just, he just, he couldn't shake it. So, He's retired for good for now, but uh, boy, we got to watch him on TV a lot of times. We we got to watch, uh, you know, watch guys win win rounds on him, and and uh, just just made us proud. And most most people knew who he was, you know, um, you know PBR fans and that. And I've got a picture in my office where uh, Jess Lockwood, the year he won uh, the last year that he won the PBR World Finals, he won a round on him and a magazine out of Fort Worth, Texas called Humps and Horns, which is a bull riding publication. They had a picture of Jess and Biker Bob, 
you know, win in that round of the PBR finals on the front cover of their magazine the following month. And I've got that picture framed of the, you know, the front page of that magazine in my office. And, and so we're, we're super proud of biker Bob and, and, uh, and proud of his sire, uh, who we had for a number of years that, uh, uh, bull called velvet jacket. He was sired by, uh, little yellow jacket, um, that came from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that Chad Berger had. And, and, uh, he was three time, uh, buck and bull of the year in the PBR. And, uh, so velvet jacket, the sire of biker Bob was sired by, uh, uh, little yellow jacket. And he was out of a 018 Cowtown cow and Cowtown is, was buck and bull of the year in the PRCA back in the late eighties. And, uh, Cowtown came from where I came from, uh, in New Jersey. And so where I grew up on the East coast and, you know, I, I moved out West when I went to college and, but I grew up and, uh, went to high school in a town called Woodstown, New Jersey. And in Woodstown, the oldest weekly PRCA rodeo in the country is there. It's called Cowtown rodeo. And so, 018 Cowtown was the most famous and decorated and greatest bull that ever came from there. And uh, when I got in the buck and bull business, uh, I wanted an opportunity to to own some of his progeny somehow. And so uh, we got lucky and was able to buy Velvet Jacket. Like I said, his mother went back to Cowtown and and we raised a number of good bulls uh, out of him. Matter of fact, we've got a bull uh, that we raised called Tequila Worm. Uh, that's at the NFR right now uh, in Vegas. And he was sired by uh, uh, Velvet Jacket. And then actually uh, uh, his mother is a daughter of Biker Bob's mother. So there's there's those cow families, you know, coming into play. Mm. So, but we've had a number of others, you know, that, went to the NFR, a couple others that went to the NFR and we've had a couple others that have made the PBR and, and, uh, but, but to answer your question, yeah, biker Bob is the standout and, and, uh, been real proud of him. Do you think that the future of the industry is, is owning, uh, shares in bulls or, or like for you personally, maybe is, is the future to retain ownership on a, on a bull, like a biker Bob and even a percentage of it just, yeah, yes, that's, I think so. is that happened? Has that always happened? Or is it happening more now than it used to? Well, I don't know that I can answer that absolutely, but I, I would imagine that, that again, with the value of these bulls going up and the earning potential going up, I would imagine that people's, uh, you know, breeders or whomever owns a bull's uh, interest in retaining some sort of interest, even if it's a real fractional you know, just seems natural that that would increase. Right. right. Uh, I know, I know that we intend to, uh, we're going to start holding back, uh, you know, an interest in some of our bulls as, as we go forward. And and we haven't historically, I mean, we've done some partnerships and different creative things here and there. Uh, but mostly we've sold our bulls outright and, uh, and I look to retain some ownership, you know, in, you know, future years. Very good. Well, for the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 223, 
Uh, I'm going to try and track down a couple of videos of Biker Bob and, and maybe some of the other bulls that you mentioned and and uh, put them in the show notes page so people can go check those out. But uh, would there be a way that people had that wanted to get involved or wanted to know more about the industry or whatever, maybe you wanted to invest in one of your bulls, could get a hold of you somewhere we could send them to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. We do have a Facebook page, uh, Ride Buck and Bulls facebook and then you can also reach me by email mcbridebulls at gmail.com and uh i'm working on a website right now it'll be mcbride or mcbridebulls.com and that's in the works and i hope to have it up up early uh this next year like first quarter january february uh so that'd be again mcbridebulls.com and yeah, or you could look at, uh, uh, if you would search uh, American Bucking Bull, uh, you'll find the ABBI's website, and you can learn about the industry and a little bit there and learn about the registry. And, and uh, All right, very good. Get some information there. Yeah, well, we'll have links to all that at the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 223. Uh, if there is anything else to major, Bob, uh, I, I appreciate your generosity with your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share something I love with your your audience. Thank you. Yeah. Well, your love for it is evident. You were, it was good. It was very good. Thank you. My pleasure. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Really appreciate that. And if uh, the uh, if the advertisement there is a jolt to you, again, I'm inviting your feedback. Workingcows.net slash contact or uh, 605-549-5401. Let me know what you think, and maybe we can we can shape uh, advertisements from uh, the successful farming relationship going forward. Uh, really appreciate you guys and your patience. Really appreciate all of the generous support that I've received over the years in, in, in kind, <laughs> so to speak, through... Equipment that's been sent to me off the Amazon wish list. Uh, Patreon support has been a huge blessing to my family, uh, but it's also been a huge investment of my time. And so uh, some, some advertising uh, going forward uh, will, be, will be probably more regular. Um, so uh, appreciate your, your patience in that, but also appreciate your feedback that I can pass along to Successful Farming to let them know uh, what kind of advertisers would be most uh suited to our to to this to this audience and they they covet that feedback too they want to hear from you guys about what you think and how you how you feel about these things so uh encourage you to to reach out and to share that and uh really looking forward to next week on the working cows podcast i had received some some feedback from a previous episode about 30 by 30 and and i always am willing to entertain other guests and and other people uh to 
you know, to get a different perspective. And so a couple of people reached out to me and, and had some strong feelings about that episode on 30 by 30. And I said, well, if you've got somebody in mind that would be willing to talk to me about, um, you know, the other side of that equation, pass their name along. And one of them did. And I sat down and talked with Eric Glenn. Eric is with the Colorado Cattlemen's Ag Land Trust. And we talked to him about conservation easements and uh, some of those things. So excited to share that episode with you again real soon for another episode of the Working Cows podcast. We'll see you then. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.